Welcome to Trawler Talk, the podcast for trawler nuts and long-range cruising enthusiasts. I'm your host, Andrew Parkinson. Hey everyone, Andrew Parkinson here with Passage Maker Magazine, and you're listening to Trawler Talk on Passage Maker Radio. Thanks for joining us. Today's episode is brought to you by Outer Reef Yachts, leading manufacturer of award-winning long-range motor yachts. Outer Reef specializes in building robust blue water yachts that focus on luxury, efficiency, safety, and technological ingenuity. And with boats ranging from 58 to 115 feet, Outer Reef Yachts has the perfect model to suit any cruising lifestyle. Learn more at OuterReefYachts.com. That's OuterReefYachts.com. Okay, let's get started. So today we're gonna talk about living aboard and not just the act, air quotes, of living aboard, like the daily grind, but more so cruising while living aboard. And I don't just mean bouncing around the ICW or Puget Sound or the Bahamas, but really heading beyond the reef and having one-of-a-kind adventures on a boat. Now, for some of you, I'm sure the almighty question of whether it makes sense to live aboard has come up from time to time. I mean, shoot, I have days where I know I'm ready to sell off the home, the car, sometimes even the kids. Okay, I'm joking. Cast off the lines and aim for the islands. I mean, come on, who hasn't? But to make the decision to follow through with it, there's a lot of logistics involved. Like, how do you really do it? Or more important, how do you know whether living aboard is really going to be for you? And how do you fund something like that? Today's guest, Pat Schult of the Grand Banks 42 Bumfuzzle, is going to share his own personal story and help us try to make some sense of it all. We first met Pat a few years ago when we came across his family's cruising blog, the Bumfuzzle blog at bumfuzzle.com. 17 years ago, Pat and his family circumnavigated the globe, which was a pretty unlikely chapter in their lives considering Pat and his wife both grew up as landlocked Midwesterners without a single boater or traveler really in either family, and they've been liveaboards ever since. After following his wake for a few months, we somehow managed to convince him to write a story for Passage Maker, which you may have read entitled Spoiled for Choice, Landlocked Midwesterners Tackle the Liveaboard Lifestyle. So let's talk living aboard. Joining us now on the podcast is circumnavigator, veteran cruiser, self-acclaimed boat bum, and landlubber turned liveaboard, Pat Schult. Welcome to Trawler Talk. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, last time we spoke, you and your family were on the boat in San Juan, I believe, dodging hurricanes while navigating your way through COVID. Where are you now and where's the boat now? Yeah, so we spent uh, spent uh, pretty much an entire season there in in San Juan, uh, quite a few months, kind of waiting for COVID to, to die down, and then uh, we were able finally to get going a bit, and we spent some time in the Virgin Islands, U.S. Virgin Islands, um, before finally uh, deciding to head further south uh, for this hurricane season and get out of the way down south in the ABCs. So right now we're in Aruba. After we spent uh, quite a bit of time in Bonaire, and now we're in Aruba. Cool. And we'll get into traveling through COVID a little bit later, but for our audience that's tuning in now, a lot of them have probably read the feature story we did last year that you wrote, going from land lovers to liveaboards. I think a lot of our audience really enjoyed that, so I'm glad you're on the podcast now, and we'll unpack that a little bit. Pat, tell us, how did it all start? How does someone like you make such an extreme decision to leave, what, landlocked Minnesota, right, and become, yeah, become yeah. a long-range cruising liveaboard? What were you thinking? That's <laughs> a good question. Yeah. I mean, uh, we, we didn't have any experience. We, we weren't, we weren't around boats. Uh, both me and my wife, we grew up in Minnesota. Um, you know, maybe a bass boat was about the extent of our, our boating experience. 
Um, and then uh, we moved to Chicago, and we were living in Chicago, right downtown, for a few months or for a few years. Um, I was a trader at the Chicago Board of Trade, and basically we just had a, a nice little run, and decided, you know, to we weren't quite ready to have settle down and have the normal, I guess, quote unquote, uh, normal life um, quite yet. And we wanted to have some adventures, and so we kind of started dreaming up ideas for an adventure, and this is what we landed on. So you landed on getting a boat and taking off and, and leaving the mainland in your dust. Is that right? Yeah, literally. Like one night, uh, you know, over pizza and beers at our favorite uh, Saturday hangouts, we we came up with the idea to buy a boat. We were going to buy a boat and go um, like a power boat. We didn't, I mean, again, we didn't know anything about boats. And we were like, you know, we'll buy like one of these, I don't know, like a 32-foot Carver or something like that, you know, we're going to zip up to the Caribbean and just bum around in the Caribbean for a year and just bop around from island to island. And then, um, yeah. And then like the next morning, the idea had stuck and we were doing research and almost immediately we landed on, uh, what about sailing around the world? You know, (laughs) and, and, you know, I asked Allie and she's like, sure. And off we went. So we, that was the, that was the plan from then on. So you just, you're at the bar, you're having a few beers and you decide, Hey, let's go sailing around the world. And your wife said, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Amazing. That's a keeper right there. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) She's on board for all my, uh, my weird adventure ideas. You're a lucky man. So, (laughs) so, so you had the crazy idea. Uh, first you got to get a boat, right? So how did you go about finding your boat. You knew nothing about boating at that point. How did, yeah. where, where'd you start? Yeah. So you gotta remember this was back in Oh two, 2002, I guess. So, you know, these are actually still early days of like the internet, you know, you couldn't just type in, you know, I want to go sailing around the world and get like a million hits, you know? So it took some digging, you know? And so we, um, I landed on yacht world. I think, I think it was yacht world back then. There wasn't, there wasn't nearly as much online or that much to choose from, you know? And I, I think I just kind of landed on uh, a catamaran. We, we had read a book called sailing promise and they circumnavigated on a, I don't remember exactly, but it was a small catamaran, maybe 33 feet or 32 feet. One of those back from back then. And so I was looking online, found a, you know, found like a, I remember specifically it was a fountain Peugeot, 35 and we thought okay that's going to be the boat so then we looked you know we liked the pictures basically that was all we knew about it um you know so went online found one down in uh, down in florida so we just flew down there fourth of july weekend because there's no better time to go boat shopping than fourth of july in fort (laughs) lauderdale (laughs) it's about a million degrees so anyways we we looked at the fountain peugeot and we weren't super enthused. It was way smaller than we had thought. I mean, again, remember, we'd never been on a cruising boat. We'd never been on any sort of sailboat, never been on any, even, you know, never been on a trawler, never been anything. And so we climb onto this little 35 foot cat and we're like, Oh, this is really smaller than we thought. A little tight. Know? Yeah. <laughs> right. so, of course the broker's eyes light up and he's like, well, I can show you some bigger ones. But, um, so that day, I think we looked at, I don't know, maybe eight boats, and eventually we looked at this Wildcat 35. Again, same size, 35 feet, but it was just had a roomier, I don't know, layout. And it was it was only 
a year old had just come across the Atlantic and we were like, Oh, good enough. Like that's it. And so that day we signed a contract and had a boat. Wow. So, yeah. One, one day of looking at, <laughs> that was it. That's, that's not, never right. used to, never used to work like that folks. It's <laughs> yeah. not supposed to be that well, easy. Exactly. Well, and these days too, it's just information overload, right? I mean, you go online and read about every kind of boat and every layout and just, you know, you know, every con and, and positive, you know, it's just, yeah. it's too much sometimes. Yeah. So you found your, the boat of your dreams, what you thought was the boat of your dreams. Tell us about the circumnavigation. Where'd you start? How'd it go? Yeah. So we started out in Fort Lauderdale. Um, again, we didn't have any experience. We had, when, once we had decided we were going to do this, we signed up and took um, sailing 101 on Lake Michigan. It was like an eight hour, you know, sailing on a J24, I think. And I think about an hour into that, the instructor was explaining things and I kind of looked at the sail and I was like, oh, okay, so that's how it works. It's like an airplane wing. And I looked at Allie and I'm like, oh, we got this. I figured, you know, I figured it out now. So right. we can go, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so that was it, you know, like I, as soon as I thought I had the general idea of how sailing a boat works, that was enough for me. So we got on our boat and yeah, we went over to the Bahamas, which man, what a place to learn to boat. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just, the, it's just the easiest place in the world, I think, to, to cruise. I mean, you have so many places to hide. It's all sandy, soft bottom. Uh, there, you know, anchoring is simple. It's just, uh, it couldn't be an easier place. Be very forgiving uh, for a first-time boater. Yeah. Very, very forgiving, yeah. So we spent about three months there um, and then got down to Georgetown where, of course, you know, hundreds of cruisers are hanging out for the season before they head back to the States. And, uh, you know, we were heading off to Panama. So we went right from there straight across the Caribbean. That was like our first overnight, you know, so we, we were at sea for, I don't know, a week, seven days, I think it was, um, and ended up in Panama just fine. And from then on, it was just kind of, I don't know, it was, it, it wasn't as hard as we thought, you know, so we went that route. Uh, you know, Panama to Galapagos, uh, South Pacific, New Zealand, Australia, to up to Bali, up to Indonesia, through there. And then we ended up going, we ended up going the, through the Red Sea in 2005. So those were early days before pirating kind of really took off. Yeah. Um, uh, so the, the Red Sea was, a, I mean, for us, it was a relatively easy route. People were getting a little nervous about it at the time, and they were starting to travel in packs to protect themselves from pirates and stuff. But sure. we didn't have, any, didn't have any issues. We just went off on our own and had, really, that turned out to be what I would consider my favorite part of the trip was just going up through the Red Sea because it was, you know, we were just so far, yeah. so far off the beaten track. You know, it's just kind of an amazing, beautiful place. Wow. Um, yeah. So, you know, then we went up the, through the med and we were in the med and that was kind of when we decided we were not going back to normal life. We were in Italy at the time. I remember specifically we, we had left the boat in Malta and we decided to go just backpack around Italy for a few weeks. And, uh, during our little backpacking trip, we were just at the, up until then, uh, the whole plan had always been, you know, we'll go back to Chicago, go back to normal life, make money again. And then, you know, plan for the next thing. But once we were doing that, we just decided, you know what, we're just going to make this our life. <laughs> you know, falling in love go- with the lifestyle, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just traveling and exploring and uh, not, you know, I don't know a lot of things about it, you know, not answering to anybody else and, 
and just living simply and and just being together it was it was great so we went through the med and you know on back down through the atlantic and i tell you by the time we got to the atlantic we were so i don't know so experienced that it was just you know like we went to the store before we left across the the atlantic and we came back with a loaf of bread and uh 10 candy bars and that was about <laughs> we're like all right, we're off another 24 days at sea. Oh, well. Yep. Uh, yeah. And, you know, got back to the Caribbean and, and then we got back up to Florida and that was it. Start Amazing. Complete. Yeah. Amazing. Just for a reference point, how much time had elapsed since from when you bought the boat to when you completed your, your yeah. circumnavigation? Yeah. So we came up when we like literally came up with the plan to sail around the world, but it was hurricane season when we came up with the plan. So we waited a few months bought the boat then in July or August, whatever it was. So it was basically a little less than a year from the time we came up with the idea till the time we set off, set sail. Okay. Um, yeah. And then, you know, that circumnavigation was about three and a half years. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Great yeah. start. Great start in the boating. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And then the bug was, then the bug was set, you know? Yep. So now your blog is, is the Bumfuzzle blog. It's not the same boat you had before. Now you're on a, what, a 42 Grand Banks, right? That's right. Yeah, this was our first trawler. It's a 1986 uh, Grand Banks Classic, the 42. I'm sure everybody listening knows knows of this boat. Um, yeah, it's just been around forever. It's bulletproof. I don't know. We just love it. It's, it's in good shape. The that teak is fantastic. Uh, the space inside is just amazing. We're we can you know coming from sailboats, even even from a catamaran. Um, you just can't believe the open space in a trawler, and obviously that sells it for a lot of people. On just that alone, I think uh, we've got stabilizers, which I didn't even know about really. I didn't know anything about them when I bought the boat, but man, what a difference! I just, sure. <laughs> I just, I adore our our Nyad stabilizers. So they uh, they've made made the trip all the much better for us. So now what what made you realize you wanted to get into a trawler? Uh, well, so we had. Our second boat we bought um, when our kids were born. We were in Mexico at the time, and we still harbored ideas that we might uh, circumnavigate again. We still may in the future, but at that time we were still thinking we might go around again. So we bought a um, monohull sailboat, and anyways, we sailed that along Mex- west coast of Mexico and Baja for about three years, and then eventually sold that, and then we went land traveling again. And then this time we knew we wanted to do the Caribbean with the kids. And by that point, I had enough experience on boats to know how I use them. And for me, I like going from point A to point B and the Caribbean's not that big a place. Um, it seems like it's sometimes to, I think, new people to boats. For us, it was like, well, geez, the biggest passage would be like three or 400 miles, which, you know, to us by now, it's, that's nothing. So, um, yeah, I thought, well, geez, we don't need sails for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we preferred the space and the layout and preferred the Grand Bank specifically just because it's such a well-known boat that's been around for so long and it's just built so solid and it's got a good name and good reputation. And that was enough for me. So, How many boats did you look at uh, before you landed on this one? <laughs> so I've never gotten any better at uh, being a boat shopper. I, and this is literally the boat that we looked at. Um, <laughs> you know, now it's easier obviously to look online and, and really narrow things down yep. um, than any back then. 
Um, but you know, this one popped up and we saw it and we happened to, we were in Mexico city at the time and we saw this one pop up and it was a layout we wanted where our, our aft cabin has the two beds in it, one big spacious cabin that's got a bed on each side. Cause we've got two kids. Uh, we wanted to have that. So it, it just looked like it was in good shape. So I flew out the next day, flew up there, took one look at it. And again, we signed the deal. I don't even, I'm not even a surveyor type guy. I just, I buy, I, <laughs> I'd kind of do my own survey and I fig and just buy the boat. Yeah. Our second boat I bought off of Craigslist too, without ever looking at it. So it's just kind of, and if you're listening cool. and you're a yacht broker, Pat's personal cell phone number is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just kidding. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you. So you bought the boat at this point, you're, you and your family are pretty much liveaboards, right? And you've got some young children. Did yeah. you have to change anything on this boat to suit your family's cruising needs and to suit the liveaboard lifestyle? No, no, not really. Just, uh, I don't know. We kind of just make do with what we've got. Um, we've done this for so long now. Um, you know, my kids grew up basically on, on our second boat, the monohull. They were born onto that boat. So, you know, we all know our way around the boat. Well, we, the kids have been swimming confidently since they were two, you know, and so we don't have a lot of those safety issues, I guess, to worry about. Um, not as many, I should say. And the boat was well set up. I'm also kind of a minimalist when it comes to electronics and that sort of stuff. I pretty much just rip everything out of the boat. I don't even have AIS, <laughs> to be honest. I've never felt like I needed it. I can see the lights on a boat. I know which way they're going and I navigate around them just the same way everybody did pre-AIS, you know? Yeah. Anyways, I, I just kind of it's a pretty simple boat. I mean, it's got the original autopilot still. And it's working just fine. I use an iPad for navigation. Uh, God, I don't know what else there is. I mean, there's not too much to it, right? Start the engines and turn on the stabilizers and off we go. What do you do for satellite? Um, I don't have anything now for satellite. I only, I have regular cell service when I get to a new country. I actually use Google Fi. That's the one that I pay for constantly and Google Fi, you're able to just show up in a country and it connects before you even get there, which is nice. Uh, and then when I get to a new place, I just buy a new a local SIM card and a local plan and that's our internet. But when we're out at sea, we don't need anything. We're only out there for a couple of days in the Caribbean. So now speaking of location, where have your travels on the 42 GB taken you? Yeah. So the Grand Banks, we bought this one in, uh, it was in Jacksonville, uh, so we bought that in Florida. First season, we went down. We went uh, through Florida and took our time in Florida. Um, then we went down to Turks and Caicos. And from there, we were going to continue south that season. But I don't know. Somehow, the wind just never let up. Uh, we couldn't get across the DR. And so we turned back up and decided to spend uh, the season in Florida. And then the next season, season two, we took the boat over to Mexico. We went out the other side of Florida and went over to Mexico um, down through Guatemala and Honduras. And then we went up the Rio Dulce up there in Guatemala. That's a great hurricane hole. If anybody's ever looking, it's, it's just fantastic. Great place to get some boat work done, get especially varnish and that sort of thing, uh, which, you know, Grand Banks can always use some, some love and attention in that department. So yeah, we spent the season there. And then, uh, season three, we cruised across through Caymans and Jamaica and the Dominican Republic. And then we landed in Puerto Rico in, in March of 2020. And literally like 
two days before right. lockdown lockdown kicked in. Yeah. In fact, we in fact we pulled into we were at Anchor, and we pulled into a marina one day just to lift a new battery onto the boat. Um, we were just replacing a couple batteries. And so I pulled up to the dock and then the dock master came over and he said, you know what, if you leave, you can't come back. <laughs> we just got, we just got the rule. It said, if you leave the, you know, if you're not here already, you can't stay. And if you leave, you can't come back. Wow. And so it was, that was it, you know, like, boom, we were at the dock in, in Puerto Rico and, and that's where we sat for you know, quite a while. And no one had any idea at the time how long this would last. You were, what were you thinking? Maybe this will be a couple of weeks, a month. We'll just ride it out here. How, what, what happened? Sure. Yeah, exactly. Right. Nobody knew. And then, well, we, you know, we still don't know what's going on, but that, as far as timing goes for this thing. But um, yeah, at the time it was, it was terrible. You just, you know, you figured, oh, okay, well, it can't take too long, a couple of weeks. And then, then you realize the extent of it and realize it was going to be a long haul. And uh, yeah, so we, we spent, Oh, I don't know, quite a bit. In that. I don't remember how long exactly, but all that time in, in Puerto Rico. We eventually moved around to the San Juan to the north side just because we kind of wanted to be, um, you know, in a just a more interesting area, I guess. Um, a little more protected we probably as well, right? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty well protected, but I mean, it, again, it's Puerto Rico. You're, <laughs> if you're going to get hit, <laughs> you're, you're going to get middle. hit. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely a roll of the dice, and, but it was one that we didn't have a lot of choices either at that point. It was like, so as was, you're getting you know deeper and deeper into hurricane season. You, had, I guess obviously had to dodge a couple of storms, right? Yeah. So we had a couple come on, come along. I don't remember the names anymore, but they, we just got a lucky season. Really. We, there was like two that we had to get off the boat for the, you know, and they kicked us out of the Marina. I mean, we would have left either way, but um, they said, okay, you got to go. So we went and found a hotel inland and, and sat it out, wrote it out, but we really got lucky. Just, it was a very, very easy season. Yeah. Um, so no damage, no, no, nothing at all. Just a little, little rain. Um, so yeah, we, we made it through 2020 unscathed, which was nice. And then we were able to, we were able to get out again here for this last season then. That's great. Let's get back to the liveaboard thing. Cruising with your family, you know, you're raising your kids aboard. A lot of our listeners might be considering doing something like this. What what sort of challenges does that present? Yeah. So I mean, for us, it's it may be a little different just because it's always been this way. Um, you know, we didn't take our kids away from uh, from this other life and and take them into the boating life. That's just they've always been <laughs> this life. You know, so to them, it's not a uh, it's not a big deal. They don't, they don't think anything of it. And, um, but definitely, you know, some of the challenges, depending on how you decide you're, you're going to school your children, you know, I mean, the schooling is a, is just a big thing for, for cruisers, I think. Um, yeah, they seem to be of two minds, you know, there's a, there's the group that they want to sit down and do, you know, six or eight hours, just like they did at, at school. And they want them to learn all the same stuff that they're learning at a normal school on land. And then there's the other group, which we fall more into, um, we call them unschoolers or world schoolers. 
And there you just kind of focus on the things, the things that kids find uh, really interest them. And you focus on the things uh, that are in the, the world around you and that you're in at the time. You know, our view is always changing and there's always something new underneath us or in front of us. So that works out really well. I think a lot of uh, parents really get hung up on the schooling thing. And I, I wish they wouldn't, I guess. Um, I don't think it needs to be uh, nearly as um, structured as, as they, they've gotten used to. Um, but anyways, I would encourage them to, to give it a try. If that's, if, if that's hanging them up, I, I would encourage them to, to get out there and, and, you know, just push through that and see how it goes. And the most interesting thing to me about that is, you know, we're talking beyond textbooks here. I mean, you're, part of your classroom is mother nature. Yeah. I'm sure that that's a rewarding way to grow up in many ways. Yeah. I mean, there's so much, there's so many positives to this life. I think, you know, I mean, we all know them, but it's just, it's just being outdoors, obviously, is such a big thing. But you know, just raising kids, uh, going back to the kids thing, just raising them in a in a to be friendly and kind, and and without all the outside pressures and um, and things that kids have these days. You know, there's none of the they don't have. It's, there's so many negative influences that they don't have to deal with that they can. They're free to be children still. You know, a lot more. I hate to go back. Oh, when I was a kid, but you know, it's just, it's a throwback almost, you know, it's like, it's a different time. Um, sure. which is, which is nice, you know, I mean, depending on how you feel about things, I mean, we, we consider it to be a great thing. And, you know, there's also just raising kids in different cultures. Our kids, uh, you know, they, they can speak two languages pretty well. They, they've grown up with, you know, kids of different colors, of different economic class, of, you know, just everything. So everybody to them is just the same. You know, they don't think about it. They, it's not something that's ever run through their head because they've always been exposed to everything, to a world, an open world, you know. Also, I'd be willing to bet anybody listening to this podcast right now that the playground that your kids play in outside of their classroom is a lot bigger than the biggest playground <laughs> here in, in the U.S. Yeah. Oh, man, it's fantastic. They are such water kids. You just, it's incredible to me. Like, I grew up, I think I had to go to the swimming pool. You know, I grew up in Minnesota, in the suburbs, and you had to go to the pool and take swimming classes and then maybe go swim in a lake a couple times a year or something. But right. I mean, these two, they're just in the water all the time. We, we all got certified this year and are scuba diving like crazy. And just to see, I mean, my son was nine at the time, my daughter is 11, you know, 10 at the time. And we were just, well, you know, here we are and we're underwater. It's as much, I don't know. It's just to them, it's no different than being, you know, up on land. It's like they can, it's almost like they can breathe underwater, you know, they yeah. just, and, and then, you know, it's just amazing things you see. And it really opens up everybody's eyes too, you know, to just the environmental impact that our, our life is having, um, you know, plastics obviously are a huge thing. And I mean, our kids are just, they're so zoned in on constantly picking up trash on just cleaning up our oceans and, and then thinking about it in our own lives and how we can, help that what we can do to make positive change as far as the environment goes too sure pat put us in the cockpit here for a second describe a day in the life of the schultz family well underway we are we do get a little bit seasick and not not so much to the puking point but where we're just like 
completely out of it. So, uh, you know, when we're underway, it's basically everybody's lounging around going, just watching the clock and waiting until they can go back, go, go back to bed that night. Right. Um, you know, like for us, that's kind of the way it is, but you know, whatever, we don't mind. It's just, it's just one of those things. It's like, you got to suck it up and, uh, and you'll be at the next wonderful place soon and you'll be at anchor and then you can go back to doing all the fun things that you like to do, you know? Sure. So, uh, yeah, I mean, for un- underway for us, isn't a big issue and it's not, we just kind of just go, I don't know. Who does what on the boat? What kind of responsibilities does each person have? Uh, you know, I hate to say it, but we do definitely have our pink and our blue. Uh, you know, there's a, sure. my wife, she, she does, the, she does the cooking and the dishes and I do the maintenance on the boat and the, the engines and the varnish and, I don't know. We just, you know, everybody does what they're good at. Um, Kids, kids can be a little bit of a help. They're not a super great help. You know, they are kids after all, but uh, they, they, they do their part around the boat too. And I don't know, we feel kind of like we're the, you know, Ozzy and Harriet these days sometimes, but (laughs) uh, you know, we all have our, we all have what we're good at and that's, that's where things fall. I don't know, man. I think you guys are anything but Ozzy and Harriet. <laughs> <laughs> so, Pat, what are your future cruising plans? Where are we going to find you next year? Uh, well, good question. We'll see how the how this COVID thing goes. Yeah. Uh, our plan, our our plan right now was to uh, from here from Aruba, we would pop down to Colombia and spend some time in South America probably do a little road trip down there while we're there then over to panama and through the canal and i think we're going to head our head on up north and head to back towards mexico with this boat so just uh, i guess mexico would probably be the the loose plan at the moment and a lot of our listeners are getting a little curious about this lifestyle what advice would you give to those listeners who are maybe considering trying out the liveaboard thing uh, you know how how should they determine if the liveaboard thing is, is viable for them before they jump into it um, yeah, I guess we are, I mean, obviously from, I'm sure you've gathered, we are very much of the jump in and do it, uh, type. You can inch your way into it as well. Um, but I find, you know, I find sometimes that having an out is almost not a great plan. You know, like I, I encourage people basically to buy a boat that they can afford to buy, uh, because basically once you get an anchor, on whatever boat you ended up buying, you're not going to be worried about it anymore. That, you know, all the thought that goes into what boat to buy and how much to spend goes away the minute that you're at anchor. The decision's done, first of all, and and that becomes kind of a, a background item to the lifestyle. You know, it's just, it's just a home at that point, and um, you can enjoy the lifestyle. So, I mean, I think if you're, if you're an outdoorsy type couple to begin with or couple or person, you know, I think you'll just, you need to go out and try it. And I don't know, I don't know many people that do it and then say, well, that wasn't a good decision. I shouldn't have done that. You know, like everybody, whether they stick with it as long as we have, or whether they go out and just do one year. I mean, I think everybody that's done it and lived aboard would, would say that was a great decision. So I don't know, I guess my big encouragement is, you know, the cliche of just do it, you know, just get out there and do it. And and you'll, You'll find your way. And the burning question on everybody's mind, what's behind the name Bumfuzzle? Well, Bumfuzzle means bewildered or confused. And I think when we first uh, set out, I think that, that fit us pretty well. You know, we didn't know 
quite what we were doing, why we wanted to do it, or, you know, we didn't know anything about sailing. So we were bewildered and confused and bum fuzzle is just stuck. Now we are the bums and it's a good name. It's also just kind of stuck with us and fits. So it's catchy. I got to tell you, it's definitely got marketing. (laughs) Nobody forgets it. That's right. So to all of our listeners, if you want to follow the Bumfuzzle blog, it's bumfuzzle.com. That's bumfuzzle.com. Check them out. You can follow them on all their travels. Pat, I just want to thank you for taking the time to join us today. I learned a lot, and I think our audience probably did too. Thanks for walking us through this liveaboard lifestyle thing. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Well, guys, that's our show for today. Remember, if you missed Pat's story in the magazine, you can read it now at PassageMaker.com. Just go to PassageMaker.com and search the word Bumfuzzle. And while you're there, if you're not already a subscriber, I hope you'll consider becoming one. Just go to PassageMaker.com slash subscribe. This episode of Trawler Talk was brought to you by Outer Reef Yachts, leading manufacturer of award-winning long-range motor yachts. When you think Outer Reef Yachts, think luxury, efficiency, safety, fun, peace of mind. That's what you get with any adventure aboard an Outer Reef Yacht. For more, go to OuterReefYachts.com. That's OuterReefYachts.com. Once again, I want to thank our friend Pat Schultz for hanging out with us today. And thanks to you all for listening. If you like what you heard, please hit that five-star rating and leave us a comment below. Stay tuned for more episodes of Trawler Talk coming your way. And remember, for all your cruising needs, get your daily dose of Trawler Zen at PassageMaker.com. For Trawler Talk and Passage Maker Magazine, I'm Andrew Parkinson.